0: You know, I am really grateful to all of you for bearing witness to Douglas and me this morning. There's a lot of compassion involved in bearing witness. It's not just showing up. It's reaching in and finding the place in yourself. I mean, the minister isn't here this morning, and so, you know, you are going to just do the best we can, and here you are. Very beautiful. (laughs) Merriam-Webster defines... Bearing witness as showing that something exists or is true. For example, their success bears witness to the value of hard work. But bearing witness is another, can be defined in another way, in the way that I think about it, your being here. It's when you give to attention to others without judgment and you allow yourself to put aside your thoughts about who these people might be, what I might expect, and your present for them. And what's important to me about bearing witness is that, for me, it, it touches compassion. And paying attention doesn't always touch compassion. Sometimes we just pay attention. It's kind of prosaic. It's what we do. It's what we're taught to do. We listen. But when we bear witness... we we contact our our compassion. There's a lot of vulnerability actually here in the sanctuary right now. If you are sitting there free from preconceptions and doubts about whether a service without the minister is worth attending, (laughs) please, please take pleasure in your generous hearts and minds. You are bearing witness. Well, I'm in the pulpit this morning because in October I was filled with excitement about having learned about the idea of bearing witness. And I said to the reverend, maybe in November he could talk about it. <laughs> After all, the theme is attention. But he said, uh, no, you do it. <laughs> and I asked Douglas Pillsbury to serve with me this morning because we know him, along with Gina Whitaker and Bonnie Wamsley, Sheridan Cole, Jan Meslin, Jim Crawford, and many others whose names I probably haven't mentioned, as being very active in social justice in in this congregation. And bearing witness applies to how we practice social justice not just with our interactions with individuals. Sometimes we are called to respond in a way that we feel doesn't do very much, and it's often then that bearing witness is the least we can do, and often it's the most. Writer and critics, social critic James Baldwin famously said, not everything that is faced can be changed. But nothing can be changed until it is faced. Bearing witness is a way to do that. I didn't just dream up an interest in this expression because November's theme is attention. And while the expression may not be uh, so new for others, it is relatively new for me at Standing Rock. For example, American Indian tribes, water protectors, environmental groups, and others protested the construction of the oil pipeline that would cut across four states and potentially undermine the drinking water, sacred sites, and well-being of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota. The former president stopped its construction, but the current president ordered the pipeline to be built causing indigenous people in many groups such as the American Psychological Association to bear witness to these indigenous peoples' plight and fight for justice. Unitarian Universalists have been paying supportive attention to social injustices under the banner of standing on the side of love. And it is all about bearing witness. But my exposure to the term bearing witness is more recent I'm in a group of slow-county Buddhists called Socially Engaged Buddhists. We want our meditation practice itself a form of bearing witness to the self, to move off the cushion and out into the world so that we bear witness to others who suffer the cause of injustice. But, and this is the hard part, we don't want to participate in a way that is not compassionate because that will increase our own hate and aversion in our hearts and in the world. These words from the Dhammapada, attributed to the Buddha, serve as an inspiration in this pursuit. Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is an ancient and eternal law. Needless to say, this is not easy. Many of the members of the socially engaged Buddhist group are already engaged in causes and performed services. Yet we are all making it our mission to look honestly at what in ourselves causes animosity and aversion toward those we are in the habit of othering. What in our activity will cause us to suffer and burn out, making us unable to stay the course because it hurts so much and feels like it accomplishes so little? To encourage this exploration, we are reading at the edge, standing at the edge, finding freedom where fear and courage meet by Joan Halifax, who is called Roshi Joan, and Roshi means venerable one. And one to whom Roshi Joan dedicated this book is Zen master, activist, and Buddhist pioneer Bernie Glassman, who died in November 2018 at the age of 79 on the eve of the 23rd annual Bearing Witness Retreat at Auschwitz-Birkenau, where an estimated 1.1 million Jews and others were exterminated by the Nazis. According to Tricycle Magazine, Glassman had already been a Zen priest for more than two decades when he started the socially engaged Zen Peacemakers Order in 1994, inspired by a street retreat he had undertaken on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. As I said, Buddhists who do act against injustice do not want to be motivated by hate aversion. They want to contact their compassion. And to this end, we have been studying Glassman's three tenets, which are not knowing, bearing witness, and compassionate action. When they are practiced, they become a path that fosters altruism of the bravest kind. The first tenet, not knowing, does not mean being ignorant, like not knowing that the southern border of Colorado is New Mexico and doesn't need a wall. (laughs) Not knowing implies instead that one can approach a situation or another person without assuming that you have got the other person or the situation already figured out or that you're certain that you know what's needed. To show up with answers is to be closed to possibilities. The second tenet, bearing witness, means that you can give your attention fully to what is. It is a profound way to be with a person or in a situation. It is a way to be present without turning away from suffering, including one's own when what we are facing hurts us or angers us. And it is an ugly bit of luck that there is so much at present going on in this country and the world for us to practice with. <laughs> the third tenet in the Zen Peacemaker's order is taking compassionate action, which will vary depending on what is called for. No matter What is called for, the key word, is compassionate. One such compassionate action took place here last Sunday in an event co-sponsored by Allies for Immigrant Justice and our own social justice organization. We learned about for-profit detention centers, particularly the one in Bakersfield, and wrote letters to immigrant detainees. When we consider bearing witness on a person-to-person basis, an online article at HuffPost.com explains how this can happen. Judith Johnson, the contributor of the article, explains it this way. It is largely nonverbal. It is the choice to be a compassionate observer to the unfolding of another person's life or a particular moment or event. When we bear witness, we lovingly give our attention to the other without judgment. We comfort without smothering. We play a supporting role, powerfully upholding the other starring in their life. It is not about us. It is about them. Yet we make a profound decision when we do not try to fix their pain and suffering or share in their experience by telling how we had a similar experience. Bearing witness says, you are not alone. I see you. I witness what you are experiencing. What you are experiencing matters to me. I surround you with my love. In preparing to write this piece, I stopped my brother as we were passing each other on the way in and out of the kitchen. My brother and I don't often have extended conversations unless it's about sports. (laughs) But the term bearing witness must have been on my mind, and I wanted to see what that might evoke in him. It wasn't until the following morning when my brother took a seat at the dining room table, meaning we might be going to interact, that he asked me to say what I saw as the difference between witnessing and bearing witness. You first, I said. (laughs) He explained it like this. Well, witnessing is just with the eyes and is mostly around the head. Where the eyes are, Well, bearing witness sounds like the body is holding you up, and it might not be as easy as as just seeing because you have to bear up under what it is you are witnessing. Wow, I said. May I quote you? (laughs) Some younger brother background. He's 13 years younger. When he was three, I went to college. We have lived very separate lives. Consequently, I do not know him very well. Nevertheless, when the apartment building in Long Beach, which was his home for 20 years, was to undergo renovation and the rents were certain to rise, everyone was evicted, and he needed a place to live. I told him he could live with me. But we do share an interest in sports, the games, the writing about sports, the personalities who do the writing, that sort of stuff. And my brother is smart. He won Jeopardy! once <laughs> Outside of sports however we seem to approach life from very different angles I struggle to be optimistic for the most part his perspective feels to me like pessimism although he would call it facing reality I can't hang with that kind of thinking negativity and cynicism depresses me although for years i too saw every glass as half empty Eventually, being stuck in such a limiting perspective grew tiresome, and I gave it up. As a student of Buddhism, I like to say that I practice seeing the glass as already broken. <laughs> My brother wasn't the only person I asked to share experience. In this case, with bearing witness. I host a small writing group, and a week or so ago, before we took up our Thursday morning writing, I might have mentioned that I was going to talk about bearing witness, and I wondered what my friends thought about being with others without judgment. My two friends had examples of times when they felt they were doing that. One friend was kind of in a hurry that morning to get on with her writing because she was planning to go directly to sit with a friend who is dying. The other writing maid is one of eight siblings in an Irish family, and she's hoping to write a chapter about each brother and sister, but she says it's hard to find quite the right tone with which to capture the truth about her sisters and brothers, because her family is fairly dysfunctional. But in the course of our conversation, it occurred to her that she could look at her family from a bearing witness perspective and thus access compassion. Friends have definitely been a helpful source in my understanding of bearing witness. Yet there is one creature that epitomizes knowing and not judging but cannot talk about it or give advice and, of course, couldn't be here today. And that creature is a pet. In my home, it's Foxy the dog. In lieu of Foxy bearing witness to his love for me, I want to share with you a piece by Sarah Chauncey, from the October issue of Lion's Roar, and she approaches bearing witness with an eye to pet companions. She writes, We all long to be seen, but when humans look at each other, more often than not, there are mental constructs and conditioning that prevent us from truly seeing the other person. When a person speaks, especially in distress, we're quick to offer advice and try to distract them or convince them that the problem really isn't that bad. Animals don't do that. They soothe us without dismissing our concerns or telling us to stop crying or that John or Jane really is a jerk and we'd be better off without that person. They show us that we are essentially lovable and whole, even when we feel our most broken. Companion animals form attachments to us and show affection even to those of us whom other humans have shunned. They don't care about our body shape, income, social status, or professional success or lack thereof. They accept us for who we are and often even for those of us with vibrant social lives. They are the only beings who provide that level of acceptance. The animals who live with us are privy to our deepest secrets and our most private moments. The parts of ourselves we wouldn't dare show another human. The essence of our relationship with animals is that of fellow occupants of this planet witnessing each other. I know, Foxy, my dog, would agree that bearing witness is a gift we can offer each other and all beings any time it's important to remember that each person matters and as the holidays approach we have to acknowledge that not everyone is going to be happy during this time so one of the greatest gifts that we can offer people who are not happy who might be lonely and offer to ourselves is the gift of bearing witness and holding space. Bearing witness is a sacred act. It definitely changes the one who bears witness. It deepens and fortifies one's soul. It makes one trustworthy. That is how I feel now about bearing witness. And that is why I risked sharing this with you. Thank you for your willingness to bear witness this morning.